0: Let's get into God's Word, though, this morning. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. Let's start by reading this. We'll kind of set this up and really dive into this. It says here, verse 13, "'Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away.'" Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. We see a couple major themes of this epistle coming up again. We see once again the issue of the tongue coming up, which James has already addressed several times. Previously, James, in addressing the tongue, talked about things that were said. He talks about that to a degree here as well, but He's emphasizing more things that are not said, saying we're going to do this or that without saying the Lord wills with removing God from the equation. And listen, our mouth reflects our heart. Obviously, our heart's the most important thing here. And having a heart attitude that would say if the Lord wills and being yielded to understanding that only God knows what today and tomorrow holds and so forth and wanting to really operate under that umbrella and have that mindset. But oftentimes, again, the mouth reflects the heart. And when there's a void of speech saying the Lord willing, listen, if God wants this, the Lord's will be done, that's problematic. In fact, he really says here that it's arrogant and all such boasting is evil. When we say we're going to do this and we're going to do that and this is going to fold the next year with no regard for the will of the Lord. And that really falls in line with one of the other main themes in the book really the main theme of chapter four, verse six, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Because arrogance and pride and boasting and pride and evil and pride, they all go hand in hand. And absolutely, we don't want to be a people that are walking with the Lord opposed to us. We want to abound in the grace of God. And so we're going to break this down this morning. We're going to dive into it verse by verse. And there's just a lot of really important applications And reminders for us here this morning. We're also going to talk about just where this type of speech has actually been encouraged in parts of Christianity, really to leave the Lord out of the equation and for us to speak forth our own plan and to speak forth our will and so forth. And we're going to talk about how it really goes against what we're being taught here, this what's called the power of positive confession. You don't find this in the Word of God, that we're means self-confidence. We want to have our confidence in the Lord, not in ourselves, when it comes to our speech and so forth. So we're going to address that this morning, and we need to because there's been a global impact with that kind of thinking, which again goes against what's being said here this morning and what we're being taught in the Scripture. So with that said, let's get into this. Let's read verse 13, the Beginning of verse 14 again and begin to dig into here. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Now, listen, there's only one person that knows our exact future of what today holds, what tomorrow holds. What this year holds, next year, and eternity holds, and it's not me, and it's not you, it's not us. It's not the person who says they know you like the back of their hand. It's not the psychic hotline, your horoscope, big brother, the FBI, the CIA. It's not even our adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, listen, obviously, God's very gracious, and God's very merciful, and there are many times when we say, listen, Sunday morning, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to church, then we're going to go out, and we're going to have some brunch, and then we're going to go play in the park, then we're going to go home, and I'm going to take a nap, and then we're going to have some family time, and then I'm going to take another nap, then we're going to do something else, and then I'm going to go to bed, and it unfolds. But it never folds exactly as we think it will, and... There's times when those patterns absolutely are broken up, right? I mean, you might have that plan right now that after church, we're going to jump in the car and we're going to go down and we're going to, you know, and have a nice breakfast or something. And meanwhile, your car's got a flat tire right now in the parking lot. Now, hopefully that's not a prophetic word for anybody. I hope you don't have that, but we, it happens, right? Sometimes a wrench is thrown in the spokes, so to speak. We don't know what today holds or what tomorrow holds, but listen, there's one who does. He knows everything, every exact detail of what the rest of this day holds, and not just in a general sense. He knows the exact details of what this day holds and tomorrow holds for every single one of us. Matthew 10.30, we're told that the Lord knows the number of hairs on our head, and that's not just said figuratively, that's literal. God knows the number of hairs on your head. I don't know if there's a hair meter in heaven or whatever, but the Lord knows it. In fact, He knows all things, 1 John 3.20. And it's not just that He knows all things right now upon the earth, right this exact moment, but He knows all things right now, and He also knows all things that will unfold. And it's not just Him guesstimating or kind of having a vague idea of what will happen. He knows every single detail of what is going to unfold and what is going to happen. And we don't. But he does know these things. Notice Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Amen? Amen. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning... And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, "My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure." calling a bird a prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it." And what's wonderful about God's word is that the things He says He's going to do, he does. And as we open up God's word, we see that, listen, a good portion of the word of God's prophetic. It's things that are prophesied that have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled. And we see things coming together that's indicating things that are about to be fulfilled. I mean, we open up the scriptures and we see in Genesis chapter 3. After man sins in the garden, after man chooses to go his own way, after man says, I'll be my own God, even after God already warned man, if you do this, the day you do it, you're going to die. There's going to be separation from me, the giver of life, and you're going to be in a place of spiritual death and physical death setting. And immediately after that, the Lord prophesies to man about the Savior of the world who's going to come. And he says to Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the seed of the woman, indicating That the Savior would come via a virgin as the Holy Spirit would overshadow her so that Christ could be born the Son of Man to be able to die for the sins of men, but also be born the Son of God and be born without a sin nature. Because a sinner can't die for sinners. And then he says the serpent is going to bruise his heel, indicating the type of death he would die. Indeed, Jesus was bruised for our iniquities upon the cross of Calvary. That's part of the gospel. But he says, this Messiah is going to crush the serpent's head, and indeed when Christ rose from the grave, he defeated sin, death, and Satan, he crushed the enemy's head. That prophecy given right there in Genesis 3 fulfilled some 4,000 years later. And then great detail about the life of Jesus Christ, over 300 prophecies fulfilled. The odds of that being astronomical, really numbers that we don't even know how to pronounce and so forth with so many zeros behind them, the odds of these things unfolding. So many people in the genealogy of Christ and you can look back and track it, but as you're looking back, look before it and you see prophecy concerning different individuals that they'd be part of that messianic line and indeed it unfolded just as God said that it would The exact place where the Lord would be born. The type of ministry he would have and healing and deliverance and the proclamation of the gospel. Again, the type of death he would die. Detail given concerning crucifixion before it was ever even invented by men. And then again, the details concerning his resurrection, even his betrayal and so forth. Just one aspect of prophecy given in the Old Testament that was fulfilled in Christ and so many other detailed prophecies given that were fulfilled along the way in regards to nations and Israel and individuals and so forth. And then we look around our world today and we see prophecy being unfolded unfolded in this time that we're living in. God bringing Israel back together as a nation in 1948, listen, that's prophecy fulfilled. Again, the odds of it being astronomical that a people group would be scattered over the face of the earth, really not having a nation of their own for 2,500 years because even in those years after they were dispersed and brought back, before the time of Christ and in the time of Christ, they were still under Roman rule. Scattered for 2,500 years, and then as the Word of God predicted and the Word of God prophesied, brought together as a nation. And then prophecy, talking about how it would be a barren land, and yet in the last days it would become a land of abundance. The whole, uh, the whole climate has changed there. Mark Twain went there in the late 1800s. He was not only a novelist, he was a historian, and he said it was the most barren place, the most God-forsaken place on the face of the earth. There was no rain, there was no vegetation, there were no birds, there were no animals, and so forth. The Bible speaks about it coming alive. Tens of thousands, millions of trees planted, the whole climate's whole climate's changed. Birds of the air back, animals, it's become abundant in fruit, the leading exporter of fruit to Europe out of all nations. And even the order that they would return, the Jews would return to the lands prophesied first from the east, then the west, then the north, and the south. You like the south? Yeah, they found out there were Ethiopian Jews and they were the last to come, and they're still coming in those orders. You look around, and the Bible talks about the love of many growing cold, and we see that in so many ways. People growing cold to the truth, growing cold to one another, becoming more lovers of self than lovers of God. And then, again, this growing apostasy, turning away from truth. The Bible speaks much about it, men no longer wanting to endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, wanting to have their flesh appeased, wanting to be told the things they want to hear, to enjoy temporary pleasure versus walking in the fullness of joy of the Lord. It says they would heap up teachers to tickle their ears. And we see these things unfolding. And then we see things going towards prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. We know the Lord's coming back for His church and He's coming soon. And listen, I can say that with great authority because several times, guess what Jesus says concerning coming back for His church? Are you ready for it? He said, I'm coming quickly. Three times in the last chapter in Revelation, behold, I'm coming quickly. The Bible speaks of a one-world government, a one-world economy, a one-world religion, and all this push for this globalism and so forth. Listen, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves, but know this, God's the one that set up borders in the Scriptures. Go read about the Tower of Babel. Men wanting to come together and knock all that down, and God said, we need to disperse them. It was a way for God to bring order and God to bring law, meant to be a blessing for men. It's a biblical concept set up by the Lord. And yet we see, again, this push for a one-world government a one-world economy, and a one-world religion, which even many so-called biblical evangelicals are pushing for as well. We know without that there'll be a tribulation and eventually the second coming of Jesus Christ when we'll return with the Lord and the Lord will bring in a new dispensation where He'll rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years and it will be glorious. God said these things would happen, and they have happened and are happening. And absolutely, we can have full confidence that they will happen. Amen? And what do we know? You, you don't even know if you'll end up in an outburger or not. You don't know for sure. We don't even know if we'll have our next breath. That last breath you just took, it's a gift from God. That last beat of the heart, a gift from God. We don't know. But again, He knows everything, and He knows exactly what our future holds and even as followers of Christ we plan our ways but he directs our steps and that's a wonderful thing as well as he knows our future and listen Romans 8 28 what comfort it says we know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose have you called on the name of the Lord can you say amen to that then you're called according to his purpose Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. There's great assurance when we're walking in love with the Lord. And if you want to be more in love with the Lord, learn more about the Lord's love for you. The scripture says we love him because he first loved us. But listen, knowing that, he works all things together for good for those who love God are called according to his purposes. Have you ever had a plan and you're going to execute that plan, but somewhere along the line, the Lord redirects your steps and he's redirecting your steps. You're saying, no, Lord my plan and then you end up over here and you're like thank you lord your plan's better than my plan he knows the end from the beginning and it's also wonderful that in that listen we don't need to worry we're called not to worry about our future we're told instead just seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you and into the context even of physical needs and so forth Isn't that much better than, again, pronouncing and proclaiming our future? Now, listen, this isn't saying that we can't have plans. We should be a people that seek the Lord, delight ourselves in the Lord. This will give us the desire of our hearts and so forth. This isn't a call to negligence at all. But knowing that God knows the end from the beginning, works all things together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purposes. And again, He tells us we don't need to worry because we're in His hands. Well, that's a glorious thing. I want to read to you James 6, 25 through 34. It's a passage probably most of you are familiar with, but I just really encourage you to listen to this this morning with fresh ears. Listen to the assurance that we get from the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows the end from the beginning. He's telling us to this to his disciples. He's telling us to, telling this to us this morning. Matthew 6, 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Is not good news. God who made you, who sustained you, died on the cross for you, he says, don't worry about your life. Again, he's talking to his disciples here. Did you come in here with some worry this morning? The Lord says, don't worry about it. Take it easy. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of, of more value than they? I encourage you to do that this afternoon. As you see the birds of the air, the birds in your trees and so forth, they don't have a storage barn somewhere. But daily the Lord feeds them. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, a little faith? Notice 31, therefore do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Isn't that glorious? He knows what we need. And then 33, we get counsel. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about his own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So the Lord knows the end from the beginning is telling us, listen, don't worry about it. Just seek me first, and you can rest in me. By what glorious counsel and words. And this is why, as followers of Christ, listen, when we are seeking Him first, when we're pursuing godliness by His help and His aid, which is really founded in honesty and humility before the Lord, we can have great contentment. We can be content knowing we're in God's hands. First Timothy 6:6. 6, 6, now godliness with contentment is of great gain. Is not contentment so much better than worry? And plotting and scheming and so forth now if there's a lack of godliness there should be some lack of contentment there but again that's easy to bring before the lord and reconcile with god by just yielding and saying here i am lord i need you and then ephesians five twenty it says giving thanks always for all things to god the father in the name of the lord jesus christ We can give thanks for all things because, again, he works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes, even when he's redirecting our steps and we're like, no, Lord, no. But he says, listen, I work all things for good so you can be thankful for all things. And we can trust him. Because this is accurate. He knows the end from the beginning. He's not lying to us here. It's impossible for God to lie. I thought he's God. He could do all things. It's impossible for him to lie because he is holy. That's a glorious thing. And see, we are utterly foolish and prideful not to acknowledge these things and walk in them. And even more foolish and arrogant to pronounce our plans as if our will will be done. listen, when we boldly proclaim what we're going to do, and we do not acknowledge the Lord via through truly stating the Lord willing or the Lord wills, having that heart attitude. I don't think we're getting a legalism here that, listen, you want to go get a sandwich, we're going to get a sandwich, the Lord willing. I, I don't think we're getting that, but there absolutely should be the heart of the Lord willing. And absolutely, listen, it should be sprinkled into our speech, the Lord willing, absolutely. But when we don't do that, at the worst, we're falsely deifying ourselves because we're pronouncing plans and we don't even know what tomorrow holds or today holds and listen uh, at the least we're not honoring God and we're leaving him out of the equation we don't want to do that do we and think about it when was the last time again maybe you nailed the day it happened just as you said it would but when was the last time a year unfolded exactly as you said that it would I mean, think about where we are even right now with the water situation. I know the year before last, they're like, El Nino is coming, you know? (laughs) El Nino is going to solve all our problems. Remember that? What we've been praying for, El Nino is on his way. (laughs) El Nino never showed up. He didn't. And they're like, oh, what's gonna happen? And yet even the word of God says God sends the rain on the wicked and righteous alike. Promise the Lord gives. And El Nino did not come, but now they call it the the Pineapple Express. (laughs) (laughs) And oh my goodness, in like two months, they're like all the reservoirs are overflowing and so forth. And it's interesting, like some people are they seem upset about it and angry about it. We're still in a drought. We're abnormally dry. And is there nothing normal about this. There's like 85 feet of snow in the Sierras, and we're abnormally dry. I think it's actually about 30 feet, but, but not as we planned, right? And the rains are good and a wonderful thing. Praise God, man, He is gracious and merciful to us. But see, God did know that. He knew El Nino was not going to come, but the Pineapple Express was going to (laughs) come. Indeed, it did. Now, listen, with this said, and I I, I think, I just really think we need to address this because there's such an influence with this doctrine or form of Christianity. I, I don't know any of these people's hearts, but it encourages proclaiming what's going to happen, leaving the Lord willing out. And it's not off in some corner somewhere. It's all over television. It's really promoted and very popular amongst most televangelists. And it used to be kind of in a way distant, kind of far off, you know what, over the top group. But now you see this mainstreaming. And individuals coming together that would never even want to be on a stage with some of these people because of the heresy they teach, not wanting to associate it, not wanting to really endorse them by sharing a pulpit with them, you see this abounding, and it's called the word faith movement. And the name itself says it all. It's not the word of God faith movement. It's the word faith movement. And I'm very familiar with this because I grew up in it. I had an uncle that was pastored megachurches, Word of Faith. And unfortunately, it ended up to his demise. He took his own life a few years back. And it was money-related and power-related. And the chickens came home to roost, so to speak, in his life. Very tragic. And it's this idea that we can claim what we want. We put faith in our words, and we will get what we want. It's interesting, verse 16, it says, but now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. And the word boast there in the Greek means self-confidence. We put confidence in ourselves. We put confidence in our words. We get what we want. And the scripture says, all such boasting is evil. The word evil there means hurtful. And it's a doctrine that shipwrecked many people's faith because when you have someone saying, say this and you're going to get it, you say it and you don't get it, it starts shipwrecking your faith. And then they say, you're not getting it because you're in sin. Get out of sin by giving me more money. It's really a pyramid scheme. It only works for the rascals on top. And again, there's nothing about the Lord willing. This is from the Berean Research. It's a website, a Facebook page. I encourage you to get familiar with it. Very sound. It says here Word Faith. The supporters of this movement believe that faith works like a mighty force or power. Through faith, we can obtain anything we want health, wealth, success, whatever. However, this force is only released through the spoken word. As we speak the words of faith, power is discharged to accomplish our desires. Kenneth Hagin's theme, as found in his booklet, How to Write Your Own Ticket with God, could be summarized as follows. Kenneth Hagin, he's one of the fathers of this. He was influenced by E.W. Canyon, um, other people that were very new agey. But he wrote this booklet, How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. That sound very biblical? (laughs) In the opening chapter titled, Jesus Appears to Me, Hagen claims that while he was in the Spirit, just like the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, a white cloud enveloped him and he began to speak in tongues. Then the Lord Jesus himself appeared to me, says Hagen. He stood within three feet of me and after what sounded like casual conversation about such things as finances, ministry, and even current affairs, so him and Jesus, they're shooting the breeze here. <laughs> Probably talked about El Nino and whatnot. <laughs> Jesus told Hagen to get a pencil and a piece of paper, then he instructed him to write down one, two, three, four. Jesus then allegedly told Hagen, if anybody anywhere will take these four steps or put these four principles into operation, he will always receive whatever he wants from me or from God the Father. These are quotes from him. That includes whatever you want financially. The formula is simple, say it, do it, receive it, tell it some more detail. Step number one is say it. Positive or negative, it is up to the individual according to what the individual says that he shall receive. Step two, do it. Your action defeats you or puts you over. According to your action, you receive or you're kept from receiving. Step number three is receive it. We are, going, we, we are to plug into the powerhouse of heaven. Faith is a plug. Praise God. Just plug it in. Step four is tell it it so others may believe it. The final step may be considered the faith movement's outreach program. They start saying it as it's factual, even though it's not. My uncle, before he had passed away from, again, tragically taking his own life, he had pastored these mega 5,000-member churches and so forth. But see, when they run you out, scandal after scandal, your church gets smaller and smaller. And the last one he pastored was maybe about six, seven hundred people. But for him, that was nothing. And I remember talking to him about a year before he took his own life, and he kept saying, "We have fifty pastors on staff. We have fifty pastors on staff. Didn't have five pastors on staff." I think, "What's this guy talking about? He's delusional." And then it dawned on me: he's trying to speak it into existence. Here's an example of this. This is a quote from Marilyn Hickey. She's one of these Word of Faith individuals. Quote, what do you need? Start creating it. Start speaking about it. Start speaking it into being. Speak to your billfold, say, you big, thick billfold full of money. <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting. Speak to your checkbook, say, you checkbook you. You've never been so prosperous since I own you. You're just jammed full of money. Okay, that went forth on TBN. That wasn't like the New Age Network over here. Maybe it is. I don't know. And again, I I don't know. I I don't know Kenneth Hagin's heart. I don't know Marilyn Hickey's heart, but I do know this. This is opposed to what we're being told here, right, in Scripture. We're taking God out of the equation. This is arrogance. This is blasphemy. It's evil, and not only that it's demonic, but it's hurtful. This hurts people. This shipwrecks people's faith. And again, it used to be again, it was a, a a handful of snake oil salesmen over here, but now this stuff's becoming mainstream. And individuals that would never associate with this. I was a Calvary Chapel pastor for what 15 years? And in the early days it was like never. And then as things started going, all of a sudden. Partnering with these people and promoting these people, not necessarily teaching this, but promoting it in a way if you're going to promote them, you're promoting what they stand for. And seeing the gross damage this did growing up, it's like, this is problematic. This is not loving God. This is not loving people. And again, I don't know these people's hearts, but I'll give you a short list of some of the people that promote this stuff. And listen, if you're like, not them, go research it. Yeah. Some push this more than others, but they all, at the minimum, dabble in it. Kenneth Hagan, Kenneth Copeland, Robert Tilton, Benny Hinn, Marilyn Hickey. This is sad Paula White. She's Trump's advisor. It's bad. Paula White's husband, he's an ex-rock-and-roll guy. Two years ago, in their pulpit, they were doing a marriage conference, and he said to the married couples in the church, if you need to spice some things up, watch some porn together. She about fell over, then he's joking. We need to pray for our president because th- that, that is not someone you want getting counsel from. Joyce Myers teaches these things. Paul and Jan Crouch, Oral Roberts, one of the fathers of it. John Avanzini, Jerry Seville, Morris Rill, Joel Osteen. (laughs) Ryan Houston from Hillsongs. He wrote a book, God Wants You to Have More Money. Joseph Prince, John Hagee, T.G. Jakes, Bill Johnson from Bethel and Jesus Culture and all that. Creflo Dollar, Mark Batterson wrote that book, The Circle Maker. Priscilla Shire, The War Room. Christina Cain, Carl Lynch, Judith Smith, it goes on and on. Again, some more than others, but they all teach elements of this. And again, now it's mainstreaming. Calvary Chapel is bringing these people in to teach and so forth. Southern Baptists doing this, who before said, no, you know what, This this is harmful to the people here. We love people. We love truth. And I don't know if that's because no one wants to be against anything. They don't want to be a bad guy. But again, many of these people as well, they're the leading people for the ecumenical. Let's go partner with everybody. And kumbaya, there's, you know, we're all one globalist and whatnot. Listen to 2 Peter 2.1 and tell me if this is not fit this to a T. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, notice or even denying the Lord. And when you're saying you can speak anyone anywhere, they can speak in the future what they want, that's denying the Lord. Because we're told here in James, you better say the Lord willing, and if you don't, it's boastful and it's arrogant and it's prideful. That is denying the Lord. Is that denying him as their savior? I'm gonna let the Lord sort that out, but it's denying the Lord at the minimum in this sense. Denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And again, I've seen it. Seen it in my own family. I've seen the carnage left behind even from the promotion of this stuff in my own family. I have cousins and others that have nothing to do with God. In part because of this nonsense right here. It goes on to say, by covetousness, they will exploit you and deceitful words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and the destruction does not slumber. And again, listen, the Bible is full of examples of people saying, we're going to do this. And guess what? The formula didn't work out. So I'm thinking Kenneth Hagin was not speaking to Jesus, but to another Christ. Notice Luke 16 or 12, 16, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. So it should happen, right? Anyone, anywhere, I will do this. This is what he said. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store up all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, again, we go back to our text here in verse 14. It says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Again, we got people planning things out, and others pe- people say, you can speak it all out. We don't even know if we're going to have our next breath. All these plans, I, I don't even, you know what? Will we have another heartbeat? They're like, well, I've had this many at this point, so certainly I'll have more. But listen, the time's going to come when we're not. And this, again, is because man chose death. Man chose to be his own God, wanted to be his own God, and he brought a death sentence forward, but Jesus Christ came and he died for us to make that way of salvation. But the Bible says that our life is very, very short. Compared to eternity, it's like a vapor that comes and goes. And I would have to think all of us this morning had some vapors before us. Maybe it's when you poured your morning coffee or tea, and that vapor came out, or you got your breakfast, those eggs, and there was a vapor coming off it. You got up, maybe you brushed your teeth and washed your face, took a shower, and there were vapors, right? Maybe it's when you went out the door and there was a vapor that came out. Can you imagine that vapor proclaiming, oh, I'm going to be around all day? <laughs> vapors don't last. Vapors come and go. And so, how, how much even more arrogant to say, I'm going to do this and that. And it's like you're a vapor. Can you imagine a vapor saying, Listen, I'm going to go to this city and do such and such and buy and sell and make a profit? It's foolishness. This is why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 39:4, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as a handbreadth. And my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor, Selah, which means you better think about it. Again, every breath is a gift. We don't know when our last one will be. So it's truly arrogant to speak in this type of manner. And again, knowing our time is short, it's all the more. If you haven't called on the name of Christ, today's the day of salvation. It is time to repent and get right with the Lord. And then, absolutely, as believers, we need to be about his business. 1 Peter 4 7, but the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And again, it's not step five on the word of faith formula of how to get rich. There's none of that there. Listen, if the Lord wants you to be rich, you're going to be rich. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a weighty thing. You're going to be responsible for that. But the Lord doesn't want that. That's fine too. Boy, if you got the Lord, isn't there anything better than that? We're the wealthiest people on the face of the earth this morning with faith in Jesus Christ. So you ought to see if the Lord wills, we shall live. The Lord wills, I'm going to live and do this or that. And again, listen, his plans are better than ours, and that's what makes this even so sweet. Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, his plans are better. That's why when he's redirecting our steps and we're like, no, he has a better plan. And that's why we want to yield to him and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to Yield to you. Let me seek first the kingdom of God. Let me pursue godliness so I can be content and rest in this. Let me not kick against the goads. And I'll tell you, when we say Lord willing and we mean it in our hearts in that place, it brings great glory to Him. Romans fifteen five. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like minded towards one another according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. And when we're saying the Lord will, with our mouth. Listen, God is glorified. When we say, I'm going to do this or that, and I got my plans, and when we say, I'm speaking it forward, that's rebellion. God's not glorified in that boastful arrogance. And I'm going to tell you as well, listen, I think it serves as a great witness. Maybe there's people you're like, man, I'd really like to talk to him about the Lord. Well, maybe in the course of conversation as you're shooting the breeze, like Ken and Jesus said that he said they did. You know, you throw in, a Lord willing. Glorifying God right there. It's amazing. I know in my life, when I was in rebellion against God, it was those little things that were said that were the most weighty. Those little sentences, just those little things. Just that person that was walking with the Lord that I could tell actually cared about me wasn't there just to... You know, get a notch in their belt by rebuking the little thug. The Lord willing. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And again, the beautiful thing is that we can claim His word. First John 5.14, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we receive petitions that we have asked from him. This isn't saying anyone anywhere will get what they want. He's saying, listen, let's bend knee to the will of the Lord, to the word of God, and we can stand in those promises. And then finally, verse 16, we've looked at it a lot, but it says, but now you boast, which again, self-confidence. Now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is... Evil. And again, evil there, let me see if I can find that again. It means hurtful, diseased, malicious, wicked, bad, grievous, derelict of the devil. It can be translated all those different ways from the Greek to the English. It's really a place, pl- place of pride. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And remember Proverbs sixteen eighteen. pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall, better be humble with, be of humble spirit with the lowly, and divide the spoil with the proud. I want to close on this last scripture, Revelation eighteen four. It talks about Babylon in the last days. A lot of people have different ideas of what this Babylon is. Some think it's the global economy. Some people say, "Oh, Lord, it sounds like the United States of America." Others say it's going to be a revived Iraq. All these different thoughts. But what we see, it's it's this it's this economic system that's basically a juggernaut that not only buys and sells goods, but even people's souls it talks about. Very corrupt in many ways. There's also a spiritual side to this as well, that in 18, it touches on that and the economic side of it. And we're going to read here, it says in its heart, I said as a queen, I'm no widow, I'll never see sorrow. But we're going to read here in a second, God says to us, come out of her. Don't partake with her lest you share in her plagues. Just, let's read it, and I'll just close with a couple last words. Revelation 18, 4, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works, in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. And the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. Notice what it says next. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and I will not see sorrow. And listen, that's said confidently. That's being said with faith. Verse 8, therefore her plagues will come in one day, death, the mourning, and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Again, that's the mentality of this Babylonian age, and we're told to come out. Now, again, we're called to be in the world and not of it. It doesn't say, oh, I'm going to go be some hermit, and you know I'm going off grid. That's not what this is saying. Come out of her. Don't be like her. Be in her, but not of her. Don't speak arrogantly. In your heart, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. I will never see sorrow. No, it should be, listen, the Lord wills. God knows what he has for me. God knows if I have another breath. God knows if I have the rest of the day, the rest of this week. And guess what? I can rest because my God is good and he works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Amen? Amen. That's so much better. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, indeed, we bless you today, and we just thank you, Lord. Lord, there's great encouragement in this that we've looked at today, and God, the assurances of our future as followers of Christ, you didn't have to give us those assurances, but you have, and you've done that out of love for us, and we thank you for it, Lord. Let us be found resting on those assurances and resting in you. Lord, we pray this morning that, again, these truths and principles would renew our mind today, God. And Lord, where we have fallen into error in pronouncing what we're going to do and so forth, God, forgive us for that. Forgive me for that, Lord. want I pray this morning, God, a work will have been done, it's being done in our hearts that all the more acknowledges you in all things, that indeed in all we do, we would have the hard attitude. The Lord willing. And God, that that will come forth from our mouths as well when it should. We thank you, God, you're not putting us under a legalism here. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But absolutely, God, we're called to walk in newness of life. And Lord, you've given us that life. And so we do want to acknowledge you in all things. Let Your will be done in our hearts and our lives, in this fellowship. We praise you, we thank you. And again, if you haven't called on him today's a day of salvation, listen, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what this day holds, but I know this: the Lord loves you, and He demonstrated it by dying for you to redeem you out of sin. He didn't come to condemn you because we were already condemned, but He came to save and He saved through His death and resurrection, paying the price of our sin. Have you bent knee to Him? Have you repented? Have you turned from whatever your Lord is to ask Jesus to truly be the Lord of your life, to want to be governed by Him and led by Him according to the Scriptures? Call on Him today because it is true. It's a prophetic word, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And whoever rejects them is under condemnation. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Let's lift our voices to the Lord. Let's give him glory. amen Amen. hey the altar is going to be open there's folks that are going to be up here that would love to pray with you if you gave your life to the lord really encourage you to come up we'd love to pray with you put a bible in your hands hey encourage someone bless someone before you leave today and absolutely god bless you have a wonderful day the lord willing and the lord jesus christ